Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Do you have money sitting in the stock market and you're worried about it? Or worse, you have money sitting at the bank, not keeping up with inflation? My name is Charles Carrillo, founder and managing partner of Harborside Partners. And since 2006, I've been investing my money and my family's money into income-producing properties. These are real assets, real properties with real addresses that produce real cash flow. At Harborside Partners, we provide passive investors who love real estate with a turnkey investing solution. If you want to put your money to work in real estate but can't find deals, don't have the time to get funding, and the last thing that productive people want to do is manage real estate. We find the deals, we fund the deals, and we manage the tenants, the termites, and the properties. Partner with us at investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Go to investwithharborside.com. If you love real estate, you like the idea of passive income, and believe that income-producing properties will appreciate over time, go to investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today, we have Becca Hint. She began her career in real estate by house hacking a duplex in San Francisco and then purchased a 12-unit apartment complex. And now she's an investor in over 500 units and lives with her family in Costa Rica. So thank you so much for being on the show, Becca. My pleasure, Charles. Thank you for having me. So give us a little bit of your background, both uh, personally and professionally, prior to getting involved in real estate investing. Oh, you bet. Well, I'm from the Bay Area, and my husband and I were in uh, medical device sales for the last oh, 20 years or so. Uh, we would sell those large machines, the CT and MRI scanners. So great jobs, you know, big paychecks, big income, big territory. Um, and uh, it was... Uh, I realized pretty early on, the more money I made, the more taxes I would pay. <laughs> so, especially in California. Especially in California. It was a tax massacre. So uh, <laughs> pretty early on, I said, oh my gosh, I, I better get myself a tax deduction and a place to live. First, those two. Um, and I was single at the time. So I bought this duplex in San Francisco and I lived in uh, the upper unit and renovated the downstairs unit and then flip flopped. It was only myself and a contractor that bid on it. So that was just not a good idea. I just thought my parents said this is gonna end really poorly, but <laughs> it worked out. Um, it was a major lift of a project and um, I, I had to uh, prop up the building and put a garage underneath Ooh. and uh, um, you know, you get to charge another $500 in rent in San Francisco for that. So um, did massive, massive renovation, structural things. I mean, so much for a first property. Uh, it was great. Glad I did it. I'd never do it again. But what it provided me was the insight into passive income. And I was realizing I'm getting mailbox money. I'm getting a huge tax deduction. I need more of these. Mm -hmm. So my love for passive income began then uh, when I had that property and I was still in my medical device job. So then it became, how can I transition more into real estate and get more mailbox money? Oh, that's great. So when you were starting out in real estate afterwards, where did you transition? Uh, you weren't obviously doing other house hack, but you went into uh, commercial multifamily. Is that correct? Well, you know, I, um, 
I started, I thought, okay, I, I got to scale this a little bit and I need to go outside of California because things are so mm. expensive in California. So I did two things. One, I started investing passively. I invested into 149 unit in Longview, Texas, which was a great experience. Mm. And actually it didn't go that well. Uh, that's why it was a good experience. I learned a lot, but it's good to be on the sidelines and watch what other people do and what they do wrong. Um, and then meanwhile, I bought a 12 unit in Kansas City, was sort of, a, you know, these deals, it was one block away from a good area. The path of progress was heading that way, but one block. So it was a bit of a speculation play. Uh, lesson learned, though, that path of progress needs to happen within your hold time. It happened, <laughs> but it, <laughs> it happened 10 years later. Um, and I only held it for three. But, um, you know, uh, lots learned there. I call that kind of my training ground. And uh, um, uh, the big takeaway there was that unit size just wasn't large enough to sustain a steady cash flow. Because if you had one tenant or two tenants even that move out, it's blown your cash flow for six months. It was good while it was good, and everybody was there and it was occupied, and it was underwritten for you know ten percent vacancy. But once it dipped below that, I was in a negative cash flow position, and I realized I just wasn't large enough. I, I needed to scale. And I needed to find an, um, uh, efficiencies, economies of scale, which I had determined it happens at about 50 units and up. Um, the one good thing about that deal, though, is uh, I used to be in the RE Mentor program many years ago, the Dave Lindahl. I've since been more in the Michael Blanc group, but I like to be in these mentor groups just to have other minds around me. And uh, that RE Mentor group, I mean, 15 years ago, they were preaching emerging markets. And they're absolutely right. And this is what saved me. As long as you're investing in a rising tide, all boats rise in a rising mm -hmm. tide, and you can make a lot of mistakes and still make money. Yeah. So on that Kansas City deal with all of my mistakes, like I could write a whole book on everything done wrong there, but still I came out um, selling that building 20% over what I bought it for only three years later. Mm -hmm. And absolutely not because of my brilliance, just because of a rise, rising market. Mm -hmm. So from there, I said, okay, I'm going to take a snippet of this and make sure I'm investing in markets that have um, an increase in population, diversity of income, and uh, that I can buy at a good unit cost and all the other um, metrics work out in that. Mm -hmm. and, and it wasn't San Francisco anymore, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Uh, that's great. Yeah. When you're in an area where you have job growth, population growth, decreasing crime, so you're in a, a growing area, you have the ability of uh, not being completely perfect with your estimates. And that gives you the buffer. Mm -hmm. Like you said, it's very, very important because if you're going into an area that's just cash flowing or you see a steady mm -hmm. population or even a decline, you have to be very careful with what you're doing. And you really have to get either really steal the property because there yes. will be things that pop up. And there will be, and you're not going to be able to, if you're $50 off on your rent targets mm -hmm. in a growing area, maybe it's another year and you can get those in that's a stagnant right. area. It's going to take you years and that's, that's right. going to push out that. So that's, that's, that's awesome. A great, great information there. Uh, so tell us about kind of your journey from medical sales. You've already started investing and now becoming a full-time real estate investor, which I feel most people that want to be active in real estate, that's kind of their, their goal. You bet. Well, uh, 
I guess as a traveler, I just have a sense of wanderlust anyway. So it was imperative for me to figure out something that I could have a location independence and um, that I wasn't committed to a W-2 job going into the office every day. And for every road pointed to real estate in that for me. Uh, So what I did is I continued to invest passively to watch how other operators uh, managed their assets, learned a lot along the way. And then began to uh, run my own deals in active, and I straddle both active and passive investing. I'm a big passive investor, um, you know, probably, you know, sixty percent passive, in um, of my holdings. Um, but you know, Charles, the main goal became how could I live overseas? I was a I was a backpacker in college all through Europe, and then I spent six months traveling around the world, going to see. China before it became part of communist, uh, or going to see Hong Kong before it became part of communist China, did the Mongolian uh, merchant train through Mongolia and Russia, and it's just an intrinsic need to travel. So I said, how can I still make money and and pursue my love of travel? Um, And then real estate, as I said, became the way, and it ended up where we are now, which is Costa Rica. That's awesome. That's fantastic. And how long have you guys been down in Costa Rica? You and your family? I hope, I hope you just heard the howler monkey there because <laughs> that wasn't me growling at you, but uh, <laughs> uh, we've been in Costa Rica since August. So my husband and I, um, during the pandemic, things just became so difficult in California. We decided to pick up our two kids, um, age uh, 11 and 12, and rented out our house, stitched together all our passive income, and and moved last August. And we moved to, um, we're in Nosara, Costa Rica, which is on the Pacific side. And it's it's one of the blue zones of the world. I don't know if you're, are you familiar with those at all? Yeah, there's a few of them. Uh, Japan, Sardinia, Italy. There's a few other. My brother's been pushing me to buy a house in Sardinia, Italy for years. And he's pushing this blue zone. So I've I've looked into it. Yeah. Oh, you should. (laughs) You should. They're amazing places. But for your listeners that don't know about it, they're essentially, there's about six of them in the world. Um, Sardinia is one of them. Um, uh, Costa Rica, Guanacaste province, where I am. Okinawa, Japan. And these are places where people live to um, a very um, old age. So there's a highest concentration of centenarians and it's because of their lifestyle and they, uh, the things they eat, the things they do. So it's a very health and wellness. We're in a boutique surf and yoga hub here. So it's been a huge life upgrade for our family and our children. Uh, they attend an international baccalaureate school in between the jungle and the sea surf several times a week. So it's, it's been amazing. And real estate has been the way to do this. I could have never done this in my med device job. Wow. Yeah. Every time I talk to people on med device, they say it pays really well, but the day they start, they are looking to the day that they can quit. So I don't know how true that is. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's very true. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us about right now, um, you're 60% passive, 40% active and getting into one of these active deals in a second, but kind of give us an idea of what your current investment strategy is. Like, what are you looking to invest in both actively? And what are you looking at uh, when you're passively investing? Like, what are you, where are you right now with that? You bet. Actively, we're uh, actively and passively. I'm multifamily and my model is a co-GP model. So I am in contact with lots of sponsors and uh we bring our money into their deal and we're side by side 
as, as a general partner. They are boots on the ground. Um, we look for growth markets, Arizona, um, Texas. We love Texas. We're looking more into the Southeast now. We like Florida. We like um, Georgia. And um, we look for light value ads. We're looking at B and A and B properties now. We've moved a bit away from the C. So that's essentially 1980s and up. Um, light value ad deals in emerging markets. Interesting. And we like to be out in about the three to five year timeline. May I ask why you're uh, avoiding C-class? Because it's something that we've been doing here over the last year, two years. Yeah. Yes, I know. Uh, and we were in C-class for quite a while. And, and we still kind of dabble in them. We look at them. But the feedback from other investors that we have found, and even our experience is they look really good on paper. But as I experienced with my Kansas City building, the management of this class of um, tenants is, is very labor intensive. It wears out the property manager. It exhausts us. You have move outs in the middle of the night. Um, and it's just very labor intensive. And with cap rates so compressed mm -hmm. that we're finding we might as well be investing in B properties. Also, there's less um, uh, repairs because the buildings are, are uh, you know, not 60s and 70s, they're 80s. But saying that, these deals are hard to find. There's way more C-class buildings. And in looking for value adds, there's, there's greater value adds than Cs. But we are finding some good A-class deals, actually, more like A-minus properties that were bought from the builder. And they just filled up the units with you know, anybody they could just to sell it off because they're not in the leasing and property management business. So we've been able to find you know, $100, $200 rent bumps in some of these A-class buildings. The downside is, is they're pretty expensive to buy. So this is a team sport, as you know. So it just requires a bigger team to take these down. Um, but you but, might have there at that point, you might have might more investors, larger, more professional uh, outfits that you're selling it to. That's where you're really getting an institutional buyer with those nicer properties, as I found. Yes, agreed, agreed. And I'm also finding just on the investor side, my investors prefer to see buildings like this. They kind of look at C-class buildings, go, oh, well, you know, it's not so pretty. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but, you know, saying that we still do dabble in C's, but most of our focus is A's and B's, value add, emerging markets, multifamily. Yeah. Yeah, I find that the B class range is like one of the biggest ones because a B minus is going to differ greatly from a B plus. And uh -huh. you're an A and you're like, well, there's not much difference between like an A and A minus. You know, yeah. there, <laughs> it's granite. You got granite everywhere, right. marble or whatever. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. What do you want me to say? Uh, so he doesn't have a big enough swimming pool for your, your Olympic laps. But um, <laughs> so talk about uh, this is really interesting. You're converting a motel to 65 apartments. And I guess it was a, did you, it was a comfort or days in, I, I don't remember when I was doing research for this, but it's in Phoenix. And um, it's an interesting topic that we don't talk about much here. So explain this deal to us and uh, how you got involved with it and everything. Oh, you bet. These are fun, fun deals. Uh, these are hotel to multifamily conversions for your audience in case they haven't heard about them, but these are a lot of fun. And they're deep value add. I mean, heavy, heavy lifts. So uh, buckle up, put on your patience cap. <laughs> it's a long road, <laughs> but it pays off in the end because you can get these deals at just a fraction of the price. Um, we got this um, at 30 cents on the dollar. So a 70% discount. It's a hundred unit quality in motel that we're taking down to 65 units of multifamily. 
So 31 one bedrooms, uh, 31 studios, and then the remainder two bedrooms because they were suites. Nice. And tell us about kind of, so when I've, when I've ever, I've spoken about this or spoken to contractors about it or other partners about it, the first pushback I get from contractors that have actually looked into these or done it is electrical. And oh, yeah. mm-hmm. so what can you tell us about issues you've experienced? Cause I mean, even if I'm renovating a C class or B class, electrical is not going to be a major thing, unless it's like, you know, hundred year old property and I've got like knob and tube, but if something that's built in the last 40 years, electrical is really not a huge thing. Maybe it needs an upgrade on the service, but I'm usually not having to run lines on a property like this or kind of redoing the whole thing. So what issues have you experienced with this conversion that you did not expect or that you're normally issues that you don't see when you're renovating a typical apartment complex value add style? You bet there's a ton of them. And actually electrical is, isn't even a big one in comparison yeah. to all the other problems you can have. But uh, <laughs> mostly with hotels, you want to think fire. So um, counterintuitively, many hotels don't have fire sprinklers uh, because there's no kitchens. So when the city comes in, the first thing they're going to say is you're going to put kitchens in here. You need a new fire hydrant to enable a dedicated line for the fire sprinklers you're going to put all throughout the building. The cost to us was about $200,000 for the fire sprinklers alone. Also the sheetrock because of fire, sheetrock in, in... in motels aren't as thick as sheetrock in apartment buildings. Maybe that's why they're always so noisy, um, but <laughs> you need to often redo all the sheetrock because it has to be fire safe. Um, then back on the fire theme, you have your windows. You have to have egress on your, your windows. So if you have a second story hotel, then like we did, you have these floor to ceiling windows that are beautiful, but you can't get out of them because hotels think of suicide risk for windows. They don't think fire egress. So we've had to take out these huge windows, reframe them into smaller windows that can open for egress. So big things on the fire side of it. Uh, yes, electrical's sometimes an issue. It depends on the building and the age. Um, so that's another one. Um, doors are actually kind of fun too. You end up with all of these uh, funny doors, you know, because we took out... Uh, we're going from 100 to 65 units. So we had these really thick security doors that, you know, you can't even kick them down like you have in hotel rooms. So you end up with like, we have a whole graveyard of doors. It's a merry-go-round of doors. Where are we going to put these? Should we put them in the bathroom door? Should we put them on the bedroom door? But um, so those are, are kind of fun. But yeah, lots and lots of things in renovation, including electrical. Fire's a big theme. But before you'd even go into that, Charles, you'd go into the three things to consider that even if you even wanted to even do this, and it must start with zoning. Um, In hotels, you need separate zoning usually. In our case, we're in a tertiary market of Arizona. So we had an over-the-counter permit, just a change of use for zoning. But in larger markets, we have a friend in, in Arizona in a much larger market there that the city said, okay, we'll rezone you from a multifamily to a hotel but with strings attached, you need to put in two fire hydrants and repave the road to the tune of half a million dollars. So it's important to underwrite. And he underwrote for that. And um, it was still a shocking number, but uh, that's something that you you must start with that. Otherwise you'll be in the hotel business. And that's what they're trying to get out of. Right. Um, 
Also, um, things to consider is the franchise cost. You'll need to buy yourself out of that quality in franchise or whatever franchise brand you're buying. That can range anywhere from $35,000 to, you know, $250,000 and potentially more, depending how big the brand is. Yeah, whatever that flag is, you're gonna have to pay for it. I've heard all different types of uh, fees like that because of uh, depending on uh, what I've seen is different, let's say different levels of the hotels, right? Different flags that they have, some of the more expensive, more luxurious ones might make it a little harder for you compared to the you know comfort in that you're working with. Um, so that's, that's, that's quite interesting. How long have you been working on that? And uh, like, how long do you think the whole process will take? We are, um, we're about 18 months in now mm -hmm. and we're just getting the occupancy permits for phase one. And this is another wacky thing when you deal with the city, you know, they say one thing and, and then they do another <laughs> and large projects. You just need to brace yourself for that. So we got our, um, we, we did phase one. We had all the floors and paints just put in a couple of weeks ago, applied for occupancy. And they said, Hey, this is great. We love it. You guys will give you occupancy for phase one, but you know what? We want you to do all the fire stuff in phase two. And we said, well, but we're not opening that side of the building. Why do we need to do that? And they said, well, we don't know. We just changed our mind. So go ahead and do that. And we'll be back. <laughs> so we're just finishing up a phase two fire so we can open phase one. Um, but yeah, they're, they're heavy lifts. This project in particular is a legacy deal, which is a lot of fun. It's true mailbox money in the end. And this is structured that, um, at about the, uh, about two and a half year mark, we'll do a refi and give investors a large chunk of their money back. And then at about the five and a half year mark, they'll get the remainder of the money back. And then we hold the property for 10 years just mailbox money, infinite return for the investors. And, and I love this because it's, it's true mailbox money in that sense that I don't want to be always looking for deals and essentially flipping multifamily buildings for the rest of my life. I'm looking for a longer term cash flow play to subsidize my life overseas. So we, we love that. And all the while getting the um, you know, tax deductions and cash flow. And you can do this with hotels because you're buying so inexpensively. Typical syndications and multifamily, it's much harder to do a 10-year legacy play like this because there's just not enough meat on the bone to do this. Investors need their money back. And uh, then once you do that, there's you know, often not enough money to support the deal later on after a refi and then even a second refi, you can't really do that. But if you buy something for 30 cents on the dollar, you can sure do that. It seems, uh, sounds more like, a, more like a new construction, new development type passive investor mindset you need to have. Where you're yeah. not getting a dollar for two and a half, three years. And then after that, then we can refinance out and probably multi-stage how you're doing it and really get the thing rented. And are we selling it or are we refinancing it? Which will really matter too, I guess, how long you're holding it by where the market is at that point too. Yes. And, you know, the whole thing. So you've got um, it right. And your investors need to be prepared for that too. Mm -hmm, that everybody yeah. knows this isn't a, a, a cash flow play from day one. It's not even a cash flow play from day, you know, month 18. Mm -hmm. It's a, a bit farther out. And they know that, but they know that there's a, a you know, a, a bigger chunk on the back end. Yeah. And there's a lot important. of value. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if it was easier, everybody else would be doing it and getting into <laughs> something like this. I mean, uh, it, it seems like quite, quite the uh, undertaking. But um, interesting, very interesting. 
So tell us about, I kind of like you're, you're living in Costa Rica, which is great. I mean, how do you operate your business remotely? Obviously you have partners, as you mentioned, that are uh, boots on the ground. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have assistants that you work with for working on your part of the business or any employees that are underneath you or how does that work? How are you structured? Uh, it's my partners and I am structured on a co-GP model mm-hmm. and um apologize, the little prop planes going over here in the jungle. It's like Jurassic Park. (laughs) It's the one plane a day. Uh, Yeah, so it's a co-GP model, and I partner with experienced operators. Uh, It's my team and I. So uh, we have our underwriter, and we have our, um, um, I'm more like investors relations that I'm finding the deals, finding the partners as well. And then just for my, my basic business, I have VAs that help me with just administrative type of things. But it, it, um, it certainly can be done overseas without any problem. I mean, realistically, we hadn't left our house in the last two years yeah. back in the Bay Area. So that just <laughs> that proved it right there for us. And right. that was one, one of the impetus of this. I said, honey, we should just take this game overseas because uh, I said, hey, do you know how much? this house cost in the Bay Area per day. And look how much we could rent it out for Airbnb per day. And then look how much we could live in Costa Rica per day. And we could live off that Delta in addition to stitching together other investments of ours, like our San Francisco building and these passive building, passive deals and you know a bunch of other things we just stitched together and said, we could do this business completely overseas and uh, live a much more tranquil life than the madness of the Bay Area during the pandemic. So how difficult was it for you and your family to relocate to Costa Rica and in your business as well? And what kind of problems uh, have you faced during this process, I guess? Because I imagine there's other people too that would love to kind of mimic what you guys are doing. Oh, yeah. Well, it's it starts with really, um, you know, getting rid of things is where we had to begin. <laughs> <laughs> I think most Americans have this problem. Yes. We were, uh, we were on the quest for minimalism, actually, quite a bit before this, but we were surprised at still how much we had. So it took about six months to just get rid of things on Craigslist, on Nextdoor, putting it out on the curb for free. Uh, then we, we said, okay, do we want to you know, rent a storage shed? Or, um, and those get pretty expensive. And I thought, maybe we should invest in a storage unit actually, but (laughs) a storage center, but uh, seeing the multifamily and storage business we're in. But what we ultimately decided is we bought one of those tough sheds. We bought the largest one we could that didn't require a permit. And we put every single thing in the backyard. And we determined the break even on that was like, I think at the five or six month mark versus buying or just putting everything in storage, Mm -hmm. which was a much better idea anyway. That way we could be gone for as long as we would ever like to be. Um, so there was that, there was the get, getting rid of things, but for your audience, I would say it would start with, Hey, where do you want to go? Most people do have an idea of where, where they want to go and then, um, determine your current living situation. Can, are, do you own a house? And if so, can you rent that out? Uh, how much can you rent it for? Is it better to do an Airbnb depending on the time that you're going to stay, or is it better for a long-term rental? For us, it was better a long-term rental and just put everything in a storage shed in the backyard. Um, and then determine uh, the cost of living, where you want to go. I have a guide that we'll go into that actually has a cost of living calculator for that. 
but if you have kids back up, it has to start with that <laughs> because don't do like I did, which I said, great, we're going to leave it all behind and live in a grass hut on the beach in Costa Rica. Oh, wait a minute. I have two kids and they need to go to school and I'm sure not going to homeschool them because that's what we're trying to get away from in the Bay Area. So, so I said, okay, we got to back it up and start with the school. So we, we started with the very quality, uh, good, high quality school and then determined our place from there. But oh, that's it's, great. It's a lot easier than you think, I, I would say to your listeners. There's something that's known as the expat journey in which the first three to six months are, are, are kind of hard. You're, uh, you're trying to figure out where everything is. You're meeting new people. You're finding your expat crew. You're trying to integrate with the locals, getting the language down. It's a little bit tiring at first, but it's about at, you know, beyond three months or for some beyond six months, then it's much easier. And you'll be so thankful you, you did, you did leave it all behind. <laughs> yeah. It's also an interesting too, like you said, the cost of living, I know that you offer it in your guide, but it's, if you ever look on that between even areas that you, that are pretty popular, you'd say like parts of Europe and stuff like that, you look at it and you're like, Oh, well, this is the same price as home, but this is much less expensive. So it's very interesting if you're ever burning time and uh, want to kind of see how that goes. It's very, I've, I've looked at that before and it's like, wow, that's, I never knew it was that inexpensive when you rent an apartment for 12 months or rent the house for 12 months, not 12 days. So yeah. it's um, definitely, definitely different. It's definitely different. And then, um, you know, something else to think about is how much can you live very well in another country mm -hmm. for, like you just said, but your primary residence becomes a tax deduction. So your trips back home become tax deductible to a certain percentage to visit your asset, which is your primary residence. And meanwhile, visiting family and everything else. Then the process of getting your home ready to rent, all those things are deducted off, uh, up to about a year ahead of time. So you need a new kitchen, new bathroom to make your home rent ready. All those things are tax deductible. So ladies, want a new kitchen, new bathroom? Here's your ticket. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a great, that's uh, that's fantastic. It, there's always different ways of working around it. So if you, if there's a will, there's a way, right? With what you're working on. There's a will, there's a way that yeah. that's it. And people think of a lot of reasons why they can't do this. Um, Everybody says, oh, I want to leave it all behind, you know, some point in their life and move to a tropical island, but they list all the reasons that they can't. And I'm here to tell you there's, plenty of reasons and ways you can do this if you want it bad enough. It's just how bad you want it and what's your sense of why. And the best sense of what the, the, the people that have the best sense of why are those that the why is outside of yourself. And for me, it was for my children to learn Spanish also, mm -hmm. in addition to leaving the madness of the Bay Area. But um, <laughs> I've been on this quest since they were very little and it was imperative that they live uh, in a foreign country at a certain point in their life to be immersed in Spanish. Interesting. Are you, how long do you guys think you're going to stay there in Costa Rica and what's, what's next? Uh, or are you there for extended period of time? We are going to be here as long as possible. Um, so uh, we just see where this journey takes us. Um, I, I eyes on Europe. I was actually hoping for Europe during this pandemic, but Europe wasn't doing much better than the U.S. So we decided for the uh, the tropical beach town that was a little bit safer. But as, as long as possible is my answer right now. 
That's great. So coming to a conclusion here with our show, I just want to kind of get some questions that I ask uh, all of our guests. And uh, one of them being, what are common mistakes you see other real estate investors make during all of your, your career in real estate investing? I would say um, a common mistake is underestimating um, underestimating the, uh, the looking at cash flows. Many people look at the numbers and say, okay, great. Uh, you know, we, we got this, this is a cash flow play, but they, or rather they overestimate how much that they can get for rent. So they'll, they'll budget the rents at the highest point in the market based on the comparables. Um, too aggressive perf performance that are too aggressive, uh, buying at a point in the market that it's, uh, it's saturated, too high of a unit cost, not buying uh, on the path of progress in, in an emerging market, not buying units large enough um, for an economies of scale, 50 units and up, in, in my opinion. Some people will say 40, but uh, at least 50. And, um, and then for your first couple deals, it's often buying properties that are advertised as maybe Cs, but are maybe C minuses, just you know, right on, on the border of maybe not good areas because they look enticing when you're doing the numbers and you're underwriting 200 deals, then you finally find one. And, and then you're happy the numbers work, but oftentimes when you really check the areas. Uh, also, I would say not investing with experienced operators. Hmm. And that's what my business model as yours is as well, um, in that we are we vet these deals. We are investing our, ourselves side by side with our investors, and we are partnered with experienced operator, operators. This is a game that you bet on the, uh, you know, the jockey, not the horse. So you need yeah. to know who those people are. And I know the other side of it because my first passive deal just actually went up in smoke. The numbers looked good, mm. but operators weren't experienced enough. Knowing what I know now, I absolutely vet the operators, then the area, then the deal. Yeah, so, that's fantastic. Um, it's always important. I started, to have... I started with, sorry, no, I started on. with the deal and my mistakes and my, um, first limited deal I partnership I started with the deal and then the area and then the operators and it should be exactly opposite operators area deal it's funny <laughs> Sorry the, to uh, talk over you <laughs> no no it's fine it's fine we have, we have a touch of a delay the what I was saying is that uh what I find from most the wealthiest investors that we work with uh, more sophisticated let's just say is uh that they are working just how you said there it's on the syndicator and then the operator, and then working down the line from there and coming to, you know, yes. the deal, the property manager, they're going all down the line, but it starts with the operator because that's going to make or break it and uh, the resourcefulness of that operator as well. So there's a lot of different factors to it, but I've seen it much different when you, between people that are sophisticated and people that might be new investors and they go more for deal, sophisticated, much more for the operator and know more about you and what your team is experienced first. So interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Which is the tremendous value of your services and my services is that we know these people because there's plenty of people out there. Like I was in med device and all my other physician friends that they say, I, you know, I don't even have time for that. I don't know who's a good operator. I'm not going to go to these meetings. Just find yeah. them for me. And, um, and, and that's what we do. So. So what do you think are the main factors that have contributed to your success over the years? 
I think um, trial and error. I'm sure there's another way. Uh, I've gotten all the education I could, I could continue to get. I mean, you can always, uh, there's always more, but I've been in two coaching programs thinking, okay, I'm going to find some magic bullets, something I haven't seen before or done before and let me spend more money. But realistically, you just need to get out there and, and see for yourself. Um, for those just starting out and for younger people, it's good to house hack. You'll learn a lot from house hacking. Uh, then moving up into, you know, maybe um, you know, limited partnerships, I would say. I might just skip that kind of 12-unit experience, really, for, for many. Um, but it is, uh, it, it's just experience, really, in the whole thing. And even as a passive investor, just sitting on the sidelines, you'll learn a lot. House hacking is great. I probably wouldn't suggest anybody to get into the the size or the of the one you got into initially no. with all you're doing. Um, that's a red flag when you're you and the contractor are the only ones trying to bid for it. But um, I got into my first house hack and it was nothing as much as yours in depth as yours, but it was a it was an experience and it took like a year or so. I was very young when I did it, so it was like it took like a year or two to like do it hundred percent. But I was able to get renters in like, you know, 90 days or 60 days or something. But it was just, it was, it was something. It was something. And I, second one, I knew a lot more about it. My second investment property, but it's just the first one. I still have scars from that, that I, uh, I can revisit and know we learned about this, Charles, what are we doing? So, but I'm uh, right there with you. I'm right there with you. There's a, uh, there's a podcast I was on. I invited on. It's the real estate unsuccess stories. I thought, Oh no, this, I don't think I should be flattered by this, but Hey, maybe we'll go on together, Charles, right? You want to do a duo? <laughs> um, so how can our listeners learn more about you and your business, Becca? Okay. Well, uh, you could find me at uh, hint investments.com. That's investments with an S. I, I have a free guide for your listeners. In fact, it's, um, it's called six steps to put your income on autopilot and move overseas, which is just a fun, easy read free guide. And it, um, it goes over exactly how to do this. So it will have some good resources in there for cost of living index that I mentioned earlier to determine where you'd like to live. There's also um, the the best places to live in 2022 for expats, which is an excellent resource. Um, it also goes into how to do this. How can you stitch different things together? Look at your stock account that's maybe not loving you back, especially right now. <laughs> and uh, time to move some of those things into passive income. Look at your retirement. It talks about how to actually invest with your retirement funds. So um, that's a great place to start. And um, and that could be found at www.hintinvestments.com, or you could reach out to me directly um, at Becca at hintinvestments.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. You could see Becca Hintergaard or Becca Hint. My Hintergaard's very long married last name that no one can spell. So Hint's a lot easier. <laughs> Great. Well, I will put those links into the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on today. And uh, yeah, looking forward to meeting with you face-to-face uh, -face at some point here uh, in the near future. Oh, me too, Charles. Thanks so much. This has been fun. And it's a delight to be on here with another multifamily investor and international traveler. We're, a, we're, we're definitely a whole tribe amongst ourselves. So it's That's been sure. a pleasure. Thanks again. Pura vida, as they say in Costa Rica. Pura vida. Pure life. Great. That was awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much. So I will.
Hi guys, it's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars, LLC, exclusively.